you join me in welcoming Michael Tenai uh, to the stage today? Hey, praise God. It is so good to worship with you today. God is good, and it is a blessing to be here. Uh, I'm so excited to, uh, to share the word of God with you today. I, uh, I've been so uh, overjoyed to see how God has used First Christian in this community, uh, as well as to be a blessing of churches all across this nation over the years that I've uh, been so honored to serve on the team of outside um, advisors. And I, I just give honor right at the front. I want to give honor to the leadership of First Christian Church. Pastor Brian, uh, you have an amazing, an amazing pastor. And all the pastoral staff and all of the staff, I tell you, Drew and everyone, they have been great. I hope you know how blessed you are. Oh, come on now. <laughs> but I've got something for you. To whom much is given... Much is required. Um, so I, I, I uh, come from Pike County, Illinois, and that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to people unless you're white-tailed deer hunters, and then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I'm here today with my wife, my beautiful wife, Renita, here, um, and she, uh, we've been together for 29 years of marriage, uh, and that is a much bigger accomplishment for her than it is for me, and uh, just going to say that right out front. Rick Grace always likes to tease me that I'm married up, and he he ain't lying. He ain't lying. I most certainly did. She looks exactly the same as the day we got married. I look in the mirror and I struggle to see the same genus and species here. It's just, it's just rough. I mean, I don't have hair where I used to have hair and I'm getting hair places. I've never had hair. I think I'm the fly some mornings when I wake up, but, uh, I tell you what, uh, our, uh, as we're coming to this point in our life, um, we are just about to be empty nesters. Uh, I've been enjoying this, uh, this weekend, uh, seeing Lacey's youngest running around, and it brings me back memories, because I still see uh, my daughter who just graduated, I still see her in that same age. And uh, as she walked across the stage in graduation, and now she looks at moving on to her next stage of life, I think, how did this happen so quickly? But when Renita and I are together and we tell people that we're getting ready to be empty nesters, people focus on Renita and this look comes over their face. And I know that look. It's when you're adding somebody to their prayer concern list, but they don't give it to me. They just give it to her. So I don't quite know what to do with that. But uh, as we, uh, we've been talking an awful lot about the change that's coming to our household, and we think, how did this happen so quickly? Well, there's a number before you the number 4,000. Now, there was a stage in my life uh, when Ellie was, was that young. I remember 4,000 seemed to be the number of times a day that she would say, why, 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 you know? Uh, then there was the time when my, uh, my junior higher, my junior high son was getting ready to go to uh, school and 4,000 seemed like the number of spritzes of Axe body cologne that he'd put on before he headed out in there. Um, of late, 4,000 feels like the number of times a night I have to get up to visit the restroom. That's another time. But uh, 4,000, how this number grabbed a hold of me was from Oliver Berkman's book entitled 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Now, here's the premise. The average lifespan, the average lifespan of somebody in the United States of America is 77 years. Now, a year is hard to grasp. I mean, I know they go by quicker and quicker and quicker, but a year is very, very hard to grasp. But a week, 
Boy, I can understand a week. And if you were going to multiply that out, I mean, I'm not a mathematician or an accountant, but I would think it would be a huge number. It's not. It's just a little over 4,000. So even though a year is hard for me to grasp, I can imagine a week and wow, they just fly by. And 4,000 is not that large of a number. I can grasp that. And when you can actually grasp something, you can begin to value it. Which brings us to our text today, Psalm 90. I know some of you came today thinking, Psalm 90? Yay. No, there's a lot of really, really wonderful things. If you hang with us through today, you can see some great stuff through Psalm 90. We read Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So if we want to look at this at face value, this text at face value, there is something about a right way of grasping the span of our life that can lead to wisdom. In Oliver Berkman's book, he, he, uh, he points out the quote of Confucius that says, each of us lives two lives. The second begins the moment we realize we only have one. And so the opposite of a heart of wisdom by rightly numbering our days. If we don't rightly number our days, it would imply that we would have a heart of foolishness. Well, truth be told, I feel like we're living in a a culture and a society that's becoming more and more foolish. I have a a picture for you here that's kind of set up my point. You see this? Aren't these people foolish? They're not wearing eye protection. Can you see that? How foolish, how foolish. (laughs) My dad used to run out of lighter fluid trying to start the charcoal grill, and he'd rob my mom's painting supplies and get turpentine and get it going there. Some of you are looking at me saying, it's all making sense now. (laughs) But uh, So this morning, what I would like to do is I want to focus on Psalm 90, verse 12. When Pastor Brian first talked to me uh, about you know, sharing with you, that verse jumped on me immediately that very day. And so I want to look at Psalm 90 by looking, uh, Psalm 90, 12, by looking at its context in all of Psalm 90. And then uh, I'd like to close by giving you three points of application, three encouragements. And so Psalm 90 um, is the beginning of the fourth of the five sections that make up the book of Psalms. If you have a Bible and you kind of go up above the top of Psalm 90, it says, it gives us the authorship. It says that Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. So this prayer, this conversation between Moses and God was handed down probably like from 1440 BC. And Psalm 90, I tell you, this, uh, this Psalm of Moses is widely considered uh, by most theologians as the oldest of the Psalms. And reading this prayer of Moses, reading this conversation between Moses and God can tell us a lot about the nature of God, which we call theology, as well as the nature and the condition of man. And so uh, as we go through Psalm 90, keep your ears open. We're going to point out five truths that are going to help us to number our days aright to gain a heart of wisdom. And the first one is this. God is eternal. As Lacey read, uh, read at the very beginning, he was before creation and he will endure forever. Psalm 90 verse two says, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is God forever. 
He doesn't change. He was before and he will be long after this earth is gone. He is the ultimate consistent in the universe. In the next several verses, as Lacey read, we see a contrast between the attributes of God and the attributes of man. He declares that a thousand years is like yesterday passed to God. In other words, time is not the same for man and for God. God is, is not limited and confined in time. He doesn't experience time like we do. God has no end. But as we read, man's sin brought God's wrath. And thus, our time here on earth will come to an end. And that's the second significant truth that I want to highlight from Psalm 90 that's going to help us to rightly number our days. Our time on earth is short. We read in Psalm 90, verse 9 and 10, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Everybody just give me a sigh. I hear that a lot from my wife, but that's another sermon from another time. The years of our, of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. You see, um, this is why this is important. It's not just an Old Testament concept. So if you're saying, oh, yeah, this is Old Testament... No, we see this in the New Testament as well. In fact, James articulates this very thought in the context of how we walk out our faith in the midst of a people who aren't thinking about God. In fact, so much of the busyness of this world actually distracts us from considering the precious brevity of our time here. James 4, 13 through 14, we read, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Okay, what this is, this is what we call an existential question. And what I mean by that is a question about the meaning of life, asking why are we even here? And what James is telling us and what we can infer is that we distract ourselves from asking such very, very important questions. These are tough questions, and we need to wrestle them in light of some constant, and that constant is the eternal nature of God as well as the brevity of our time here. Our time on earth is short. It's like a mist, like a vapor. Now, any of you who've been outside on a cold Illinois morning and had to scrape your windshield, you know, you, you go out and you're hit by that cold and you exhale and you see your breath for just a moment and then it's gone. Consider that like our life compared to eternity. It, our etern eternity is this, this infinite line, and we are just one small dot, our existence here. But our time here on earth is not all there is. Psalm 90 verse 10 says, they quickly pass and we fly away. And that's the next thing that we learn, that there is something more, which is our next huge truth in Moses' prayer. We have an eternal existence after our time here on earth. We're here a short while, and then we fly away. 
This earthly life is not all there is, yet sadly, many live as if it is. Because we are surrounded by a world that certainly lives for the now and neglects considerations of eternity. It almost distracts us from thinking about it. And here's what I want you to know. If we are not careful, that mindset can creep into our lifestyle, how we make decisions, and how we prioritize. James is writing to Christ's followers not to be so engaged in the business and the busyness of this life that we forget that this is not our eternal home. Ineffective is the life of one trying to follow Christ without the ever-present understanding that this is not our forever home. And so, in review, in Moses' prayer, we see that God's eternal, our time here on earth is short, that we have an eternal existence after our time here on earth, and now we come to the next important truth that we need to understand to rightly number our days. What we do on earth matters. How we live, the decisions that we make, the decisions we refuse to make, they all have blessings and consequences. And some of them are eternal. How we spend our time matters. And that's the frustrating part of this selfish nature that resists God. The truth is we are all sinful people deserving God's wrath. That's what we read in Psalm 90, that very uncomfortable part, uncomfortable part in like a verse 11. It says, who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear of that is due you. In other words, what we do here on earth can please or anger the Almighty. And yet many of us walk around oblivious to the fact that our actions and our decisions have an impact on God. We are interacting with God in every decision that we make. We can make him glad or we can bring him grief. We're given this incredible opportunity to walk in fellowship with God's spirit and be used actually as agents of eternity. But we're also gonna give account for how we used the time given to us. Now, let me stop right there because I don't want anyone to think that this is some type of a guilt message. I'm not at all about trying to guilt people into reflecting in some type of way on their life. No, this is a wake up message. This is a message that says that the world distracts us from trying to think about existential matters, to try to think about why we're here. Don't let this life pass you by and foolishly allow the priorities that this world says are important to dictate how we steward our time. As I was coming up in ministry, I had a mentor that always just told me, and it kind of irritated me, he'd say, you know, you need to learn to manage your time. If you don't, someone will manage it for you. But here's what I've learned. It's taken me a long time to learn it, and I'm still learning it. If I don't intentionally invite God's Spirit to teach me how to number my days, if I don't let God manage my time, invite him into that conversation, I will struggle to have a heart of wisdom. Now, look, it is great to enjoy life. It's great to enjoy family. It's great to enjoy the blessings that God has given. I'm not saying lock yourself in the church and read Psalm 90 24-7. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying be mindful of God's presence in your life all the time. Why in the world would we withhold going to your kid's soccer game from the presence of God? And I want to let you know, I've been to enough sporting events and seen Christian parents not having a heart of wisdom. That's probably a sermon for another time. I won't go there. But I want you to know this. We can invite the counsel of God's spirit into all areas of our life. And this brings us to the closing of, of Psalm 90. Um, as, as we read that uh, Psalm 90 verses 13 through 17 in a world of broken people, Moses' prayer comes to this wonderful crescendo of, of theological declaration in the form of this beautiful intercession where he says, relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. In verse 17, dropping down to verse 17, it says, may the favor of our Lord, our God, rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Here's, here's what we find in the, I think this might be the most important part of this prayer of, of Moses to God is that God is gracious, God is merciful, and God is just. As Lacey said, it says this word, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And she pointed out this word gain means an offering. We have to take, we have to take our heart and offer it to God. We have to literally, if we want to understand, we have to give him the ability to number our days, to offer up our hearts to him and how we manage our time. So despite our weaknesses, our iniquity, our sin, God loves us and he offers eternal redemption and purpose. And so Moses' prayer, this conversation that we've just flown over real quickly, it tells us about his nature, it tells us about his grace, and it points us towards the ultimate fulfillment of this prayer by God himself taking on the form of man as Jesus in fact, the Apostle John lets us see Jesus as the fulfillment that everything that the commandments given to Moses could not do, make us right with God. Look at John 1, 16 and 17. I love this verse. We read, from the fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. I can hear that prayer of Moses echoing in the words of, Jesus, uh, in the words of John here. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So Psalm 90 verse 12 has to be seen through the context of all, through the lens of this entire psalm. And so we need to, to number our days in light of the character of God, the condition of our soul, and the communion offered through Christ. And the culture around us, as I've said, is a current of distractions that keep us from considering our finiteness and God's divine purpose. We have to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus and allow him to teach us to rightly number our days. See, when I consider this, it kind of makes me want to panic. But this is what I love about Jesus. He redeems the time. We don't need to panic. We just need to embrace his purpose for each day, for each moment. 
I'm not just saying we're not gonna be here long. Don't, don't hear that. I'm saying we need to live with the understanding that we will be someplace eternally and that this finite life has eternal impact. So with that being said, and as one who has walked with First Christian for a number of years, who's prayed for you and with you, who's rejoiced with you, who's cried with you, I want you to know it's been such an honor to do life together over these years. And I want to thank First Christian Church for your impact on other churches as well as your community. I want you to know that you've blessed our church in Pittsfield. You've selflessly shared your story of striving to try to be more concerned with your identity in Christ than the name over your door. You've shared your story of wrestling for change within a denomination that continually moved further and further away from scriptural authority. You've shared leadership resources. We have benefited from that. You've offered partnership and missions. You've been there as a phone call in times of crisis. And your support for Disciple Heritage Fellowship has blessed smaller churches like ours all across the nation. Your finite life has had eternal impact. And for that, I want to thank you. But let me give you three, three encouragements, three admonitions in light of Psalm 90:12. And the first is this. First Christian, remain focused. Don't get distracted from your mission. Now, I love cooking shows. I don't know if you've ever watched many cooking shows, but there's this, always this premise. Uh, you have a recipe, and then you're sent into a pantry with like 60 seconds to gather your ingredients. And there's always two types of people. There's the one who knows about how long 60 seconds is, and they're mindful of the recipe that they're supposed to create. And they gather their elements appropriately, and they have enough time. They come back, they get started. Then there's the others that I identify with. They go in, and they see, oh, oh I can do this with that. I could do this with that. I could do this with that. They get so distracted. They look on the clock, 15 seconds left, and they just start throwing things in the basket. They start to create their dish and they realize they've missed some essentials and they have a whole lot of extras. We cannot do everything in 4,000 weeks. That's a whole purpose. That's a whole premise of Oliver Berkman's book. You can't do everything in life. And it's critical for first Christian to keep their focus on God's priorities. Now, this may sound controversial, but Jesus didn't do everything on the time he was on earth. There were times that crowds of people had needs. And scripture tells us that Jesus oft withdrew to solitary places and communed with the father. He kept the first things, first things. In fact, we can see this premise as he talks with Mary and Martha as he's come to dinner and Martha's busy, busy doing, doing, doing things for Jesus and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she get, Martha gets upset and Jesus says, no, 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 no. What Mary has chosen, she's chosen rightly, it's not gonna be taken from her. And for us, look, as a ministry, I call it like ministry squirrel. <laughs> There's so many things to do, so many things to do. We have to be laser focused on what God would have for us in every season. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 18, we read, um, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. In the ESV, I like that translation, it says making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand 
what the Lord's will is. God has you where you are, and God has you when you are. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It is so critical. To gain a heart of wisdom, a heart of wisdom is a focused heart. And so a quick tool to test your priorities and to test that your focus is, is prayerfully going to God and asking him, is this your desire for me now? Am I knowing Jesus in this or am I simply busy for Jesus in this? If we, get off, if we get out of focus, what happens is ministries can become idols, and then they no longer breathe life, they drain life. There are times that things have a season and then come to an end. Second encouragement I have for you is remain faithful. And I know that's an obvious one, but there's a particular type of faithfulness that is very critical. First Christian, remain faithful to God's word. It's one of the things I love about Pastor Brian is his, his dedication to God's word. Back in 1913, when the federal income tax was being debated, there was a senator on the floor that was speaking in opposition to it, and, and he said, if we let this 1% foot in the door at some future date, it might climb to as much as 5%. <laughs> you know, I've, it's been probably one of the greatest the greatest troubles in my spirit is watching the authority of God's word dissipate in churches. Now, the authority of God's word is being challenged in our society. A Gallup poll from May of 2020 concluded that only 20% of Americans believe that the Bible is the actual word of God, and that's a 50% decline since 1976. But it's not just in our culture. It's invading our church. Faithfulness to God's word is being compromised in churches across in the United States in 2019, the Discipleship Pathway Assessment Study from LifeWay Research concluded that only 32% of regular church attenders read their Bible every day. How can we remain faithful to that which we don't know and understand? In May 12, 2022, the American Worldview Inventory from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University had the most troubling conclusions, and this was about pastors in the United States. What they concluded was only 37% of pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview. What do you mean by that? Meaning that the Bible is authoritative, that they believe that salvation comes through Christ alone, not one of many ways, that Jesus is God, that he was born of a virgin. In other words, what the Bible says, they believe. Ironically, as we shift away from a, a culture that has a morality derived from a Judeo-Christian principle, we see our society crumbling and imploding. Remain faithful to God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They'll gather around for them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. In an age where truth has become relative and subjective and feelings carry authority, remain faithful to God's word. God's word is the truth in which we stand. First Christian, may your faithfulness to God be more of a goal than popularity or worldly metrics of success. And in the time of compromise to God's word, remain faithful. 
A simple test to to ask yourself is, am I conforming to what the Bible says or trying to conform what the Bible says to what I want it to say? We are called to conform to the image that we see in the mirror of God's word, not bend it to our desires. And finally, First Christian Church, remain fearless, keeping Focus and keeping faithful to God's word will certainly not insulate you from persecution. In a time, in an age where being a follower of Christ is falling more and more out of popularity, be strong and courageous in these last days because 4,000 weeks is not that long of a time. Now, I don't like MRIs, and I've got a bad back, so I've had to have many. And as I get ready to go into the MRI, I constantly ask the MRI tech, how long will this be? And they're like, oh, this one's seven minutes. I'm like, I can get through seven minutes. This one's 14 minutes. This one's, and when I know the length of time, I can hang in there. We're here a short time. Remain faithful. Remain fearless to God's word, have encouragement. He will never leave us or forsake us. Bringing this back to Moses, in Hebrews 11, we read, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. We can love the world all day long. We can love sinners all day long. And we could and we should and we do. But we need to be prepared for a time when our love and dedication to God may cause us to be despised and rejected by some. A.W. Tozer said it best, to be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. Christ promised that in this world, we would have tribulation, but he also told us in John 16 that we could be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. I want you to know that in these last days, there will be a cost to following Christ, but reminding ourselves of the eternity that we're gonna experience with Jesus helps us to serve fearlessly. It's a simple tool to just ask yourself, am I living for eternity or am I living for today? Paul admonishes us to fix our eyes on Jesus. 4,000 weeks. First Christian, may we rightly number our days to gain a heart of wisdom that will allow us to remain focused on God's purpose, remain faithful to his word, and fearless no matter what comes. Let's recommit our lives to that purpose which God has placed us here and now. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, We bless your name. And Father, as we've come together today and we have considered this portion of scripture that many times we have just glossed over, the truths and what they mean to us, they're they're confronting us. God, we want to say right now, forgive us of, uh, of not considering the gift of today, the divine purpose that each moment has if we would walk in fellowship with you. 
Lord, we are inviting the counsel of your spirit. We are welcoming you in to help us to rightly number our days. How many, however many they are, only you know. God, give us a heart of wisdom that we may, by inviting your counsel, allow your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives and on this earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for the gift of fellowship, sweet fellowship with you each moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.